0: Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that tells you more than you probably really want to know about the hideous happenings of the previous week. I'm Kevin Barrett with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey,
1: welcome, Mike. Good to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. And well, here now is the USA. I just got back from Iran a couple of days ago. And we'll be talking about that and lots of other things, because today is the anniversary, the 44th, to be precise, of the Islamic Revolution. So millions of people are celebrating in the streets of Tehran, including J. Michael Springman, our False Flag Weekly News colleague, and then Scott Bennett as well, who's also been on the show. So we'll talk about that. But I guess where we have to start, we have to start with our obligatory uh, PSAs. So let me see if I can pull all that stuff up here. And uh, there we go. Yes, the, uh, the PSAs. Hello, PSAs. Um, what are our PSAs this week? Well, uh, the theme show theme of the show is I did not have sex with that pipeline. That is the Clinton-esque denial coming out of the mouth of Joe Biden. Um, I, I assume that uh, you don't really believe him any more than people
1: believe Clinton. Are you talking to me? Yeah. Are you talking to me? Well, <laughs> I'm talking to everybody. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, the the uh, the story uh, here is, uh, uh, I think. Why did this come out on Substack? Why wasn't this on the cover of the New York Times?
0: Because he's, it's just a blog, right? You see the writer. We'll talk about the writer story. Some some blogger, uh, some some guy named Hirsch, I guess, just some anonymous blogger. You know. <laughs>
1: <put> no, this... <laughs> no, this this is a, this is a a, a sea change. A a seismic uh, 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 cataclysm here.
0: Seismic fart rising up from the sea. The
1: the fact that uh, this man is probably the most famous, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, probably the most famous journalist in America, is doing one story after uh, another, including the My Lai Massacre, and he's on Substack? What is Substack? And why isn't he on the cover of the New York Times? And does this Uh mean, who, who lost out here? Was it the New York Times or was it Seymour Hersh? I think that what happened here is that the mainstream media have lost cr- proof that they've lost their credibility.
0: Absolutely. Substack is the place to go now. It's a place to go for my work, too. Of course, Culture Wars is pretty good, too. But let's let's quickly get a couple more PSAs out of the way and plunge into all the stories of the week. So this PSA tells you to go to truthjihad.com, which takes you to Iceland. And <laughs> when you're at that Icelandic site, you click on False Flag Weekly News. And it takes you to this page and see where that red arrow is pointing. It's pointing towards a link. You click on that little blue link down there and you get to our fundraiser and you get to crowdfund this show. So we can keep saying exactly what we want to say rather than having the foundations or the commercial advertisers or whoever the the usual suspects uh, tell us what we can and cannot say. So crowdfund us. Hey, so anniversary time. We can talk positively about the islamic revolution in iran uh here's the picture from back when it happened in 1979 and then every year they have a big uh, hoopla to do there here's the pictures of what j michael springman and scott bennett were doing earlier today over in tehran i couldn't stay there because i have to head off to the david ray griffin memorial in claremont soon but here are some pictures of anniversary celebrations you remember that right mike we i think we were together at one of these
1: yeah I remember being surrounded by a sea of women in uh, charters and they're all chanting something that I don't understand. So I turned to my translator and I said, what are they saying? And he said, death to America. Well, oh, I'm here. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm the only guy in Tehran wearing a tie and here I am there saying death to America. But they didn't mean it personally. Okay. Uh, People, one guy came up to me and asked me, "Are, are you an American? Uh, I, don't, I guess I looked that way, and I was thinking of saying I'm a Canadian. I said, "No, I'm." Yes, I am an American. He said, "Well, I'd like to go to America." So that was kind of the uh, the paradox of this uh, my experience with the uh, celebration of the revolution.
0: Yeah, it's weird. They, Iranians really like Americans. They just don't like our government. And frankly, I don't blame them. I don't think we Americans should like our government too much either. So maybe we're on the same side as the Iranians here somehow. So that's that uh, quick uh, noting the February 11th anniversary of the Islamic Revolution. The last PSA is this rage against the war machine thing, uh, which Cat McGuire will be back on the show before too long is helping organize it's february 19th washington dc and you can find your way there by that uh rage against uh whatever.com um and go to our false flag weekly news page there it is rage all right Stories this week, uh, big story, this horrific earthquake uh, sort of at the border area of Turkey and Syria, and various folks, including Meizun Rice, who came on my show last night, are wondering whether this might be a heartquake, because circumstantially, it's a little bit suspicious this happened, just as there was a huge spat between Turkey and NATO, its NATO masters to be specific. Turkey is balking at letting Sweden and Finland join NATO. And then there's a big uh, terrorist thing because the NATO people arranged some Quran burnings and then said that that's creating a terrorist threat. So the Western consulates all closed in Turkey and a couple of days later, boom, this earthquake hits. Mike, am I a complete paranoid lunatic to be a little bit suspicious about this?
1: well yes you are a complete no, thank you thank romantic. you okay I, I i wanted to clear that up first of all okay well we got that straightened out but uh uh the que- i look uh i'm out of my depth here you're gonna have to explain to me uh is it possible to create uh, earthquakes do they have these this harp thing this high energy whatever it is thing can that create earthquakes and if if that's the case why was why was syria involved in this thing is syria part of the part of the plan here i know that basically turkey has uh basically exited nato they they, they have russian weapons they're trying to play a game play what the west off against russia they uh are in, uh, frequently involved in blackmailing germany uh for money uh with the threat that they will release uh, refugees that will flood into germany uh but uh uh, in terms of this, uh, you're, you're you're asking someone who can't explain uh, harp and whether it will work there.
0: Yeah, well, we don't have the security clearance to know for sure, but a lot of folks are speculating. Here's another one: Senator Diana uh, Lava Novici out of Romania, uh, and you can find a lot more if you troll on Twitter. Uh, In any case, regardless of whether this is a natural earthquake or not, and we just don't know, there's no way to know for sure, the response to it has been interesting in that Iran has sent uh, humanitarian aid. The U.S. is keeping sanctions on Syria, so you can't send stuff to Syria because the U.S. will will stop you, try to shoot you down if you do. Meanwhile, the U.S. is still occupying the oil-producing part of Syria and stealing their oil while Iran is sending aid And Israel is getting ready to bomb the Iranian aid deliveries. So it really kind of makes you ashamed to be a Westerner. Maybe, I don't know, unless you're a psychopath, I guess.
1: Yeah, but uh, so why was is 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 this dependent on where the fault lines are? I assume you have to have fault lines. And so that would be why it was on this border with Syria or was Syria intent was intended to be an attack on Syria as well.
0: Who knows? I mean, it's, it's, I think that's all speculation. The HARP issue, uh, there, you know, it's all rumors and speculation. Weather warfare, that's actually pretty well documented. I talked to somebody who was involved in that in Iran, but earthquake warfare, who knows? Um, in any case, the response again has, has been pretty, uh, disgusting from, from the US and even more disgusting from, from Israel bombing aid deliveries. Oh, my goodness. Uh, China is calling on the u.s to end its sanctions i mean these sanctions are causing immense suffering uh, and of course stealing all syria's oil and and the money that could be used to rebuild this devastated country is is also uh, disgusting so uh, china is behaving kind of rationally and saying the things that you would think everybody would say well uh, washington has refused to even consider ending sanctions on syria at least during the period of trying to help people after the earthquake again this is this is mind-boggling
1: the sanctions are going to uh, have become counterproductive and that's part of the problem but they're uh, they don't understand the sanction the, per, the the effect of sanctions let's let's just say uh on iran sanctions action act as a tariff and what they've done in iran is help create domestic manufacturing In a way that would not have happened if the sanctions hadn't been uh, imposed. I remember talking to the head of, uh, when I was there talking to the head of uh, Press TV, he gave me some figure of like uh, the the domestic manufacturing in Iran had tripled or quadrupled since the imposition of the sanctions. So over the long haul, if you can get through it, sanctions are a blessing in disguise.
0: But in the short term for Syria, as they try to recover from the devastation of this imposed war, another imposed war that the West and and the Israelis uh, uh, created, they really could use help from outside their borders. So the sanctions are really uh, hurting Syrians. And. Speaking of sabotage. Okay. Let's get to the, the big story here. We already talked a little bit about this. Uh, some blogger named Seymour Hirsch had some blog called Substack, which is where all the real journalists and the more, uh, sophisticated people are publishing these days. Uh, just put out a great article. Um, Apparently, solving the mystery of what happened to Nord Stream. And this is the summary. Last June, Navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Ball Tops 22 planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. So that sounds like uh he's got a pretty solid story here, but <laughs> the way it's reported in the media, it's a blog post. Uh, uh, so, Mike, who who do we believe, Reuters or a blog post?
1: Well, that's precisely the issue that you have to raise right now. Have the, has, have the mainstream media completely discredited themselves? Uh, because this should have been on the front page of the New York Times. I mean, first of all, it's not. I, I, were you shocked to find out the Americans did it? I thought that the Russians did it. Actually.
0: I'm shocked, shocked, just like in, I mean, in Casablanca,
1: right? Right, <laughs> just like uh, yeah, in Casablanca. Uh, the details of the story uh, make it. It's a story that's made up on based on Seymour Hersh's reputation and the details that go into this story. Uh, the fact that it's one anonymous uh, uh, source uh, weakens it a little bit, but uh, this is the only guy who's willing to come out. The fact I think his reputation is going to carry uh, carry him through, because now uh, the the Germans are busy ignoring the story, and this will eventually I think bring about the fall of the the uh, traffic light coalition, the Ampel coalition in uh, in Germany. But now the Chinese have gotten onto the story. And they're demanding some type of explanation. So the question is, how long can they hold out? How long can they hold out and simply stonewall everyone? Uh, The the answer to that, I think, is going to lie in the Ukraine. When it becomes obvious that the Russians won the war in the Ukraine, there's going to have to be some type of uh, course adjustment, some type of realignment here. Uh, And they're going to have to admit the fact when is the New York Times going to write the article, the editorial saying we were wrong to support the government so blindly we should have published Seymour Hirsch's article that that's that's that I think that's where one place where the change will have to happen.
0: Yeah, maybe a couple of years before the New York Times issues that apology. It's kind of amusing to see this headline about, oh, some blog post. And uh, and then in that article is the text down here in the lower right of the screen. Uh, you know, Hirsch is a former New York Times New Yorker reporter who won numerous awards, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's kind of a weird kind of contradiction. Uh, in any case, moving on to the war on Russia, I think you're right, Mike, that the war on Russia is going to determine this, and specifically the impending Russian victory, which we're even hearing about from the New York Times. Again, this is the New York Times, and we we republished the Yahoo version because it's you don't have to work as hard to get through the paywall and new york times is telling us that you know ukraine is in serious trouble the exhausted troops are outnumbered outgunned russia hasn't even begun to commit its new two hundred thousand strong uh, group so it looks like you know this this could this all could be over before too long uh and god willing it'll end somehow other than the way the film dr strangelove ends
1: yeah i think the, the best film analogy here is uh the German film, uh, Untergang, about the last days of uh, Hitler in the bunker. Uh, and <laughs> so
0: now it's Biden in the bunker.
1: It's Biden in the bunker, and and uh, Hitler is basically saying, well, we'll send that division there, and we'll send this division there, and Berlin will be saved. And the generals are all looking at him saying, well, well wait a minute, that division got wiped out uh, three months ago, and this this is exactly the situation. I, I The question is, can you have a course correction in a country like this, or does the whole thing have to collapse? Because that's what had to happen in Germany. Not, not just after World War II with Hitler, but with the uh with East Germany. Because no one would have known, had gotten access to the Stasi files if they if uh the East Berlin hadn't collapsed. Does is that what it takes? I mean, sometimes regimes are so wicked that they can only be destroyed only be changed by force they can only be destroyed in order to be reformed that's the big question right now
0: that that is the question and yeah this image of zelensky in the bunker you know sort of reminds us of you know hitler in the bunker playing piano for eva brown nixon playing piano uh, sadly as he was drinking and playing playing piano before his downfall and now what is zelensky doing in the bunker is he playing piano i don't even want to think about that uh so this russia has did invite uh, actually this this was the story right before it happened but Roger Waters the founder of Pink Floyd was invited to speak to the UN and indeed he did uh looks like the media isn't too happy about it Al Jazeera probably had maybe the least worst story on it but again it's all focusing on the negative uh there's a the picture of the huge screen with roger waters uh i didn't see a big flying pig going across the screen or anything because he's he's you know he's serious uh and look at the way the media has portrayed this most of the media is is smearing roger waters the propaganda tool for moscow uh ukraine is denouncing him i think this is the guardian here uh and uh there's the daily mail talking about the dark side uh, of the loon
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yeah you got to give them credit for uh kind of goofy humor i mean we don't have a monopoly on that here at false black weekly news but uh, <laughs> (laughs) So now uh, he's uh, he's in a spat, apparently, with his ex bandmate, uh, David Gilmour, who I don't believe is anywhere near the creative force that Roger Waters is, nor is he the intellectual force that Roger Waters is. So he and his idiot wife, Polly Sampson, are are, are smearing Roger Waters, calling him anti-Semitic to his rotten core and a Putin apologist. Uh, So there's a big spat now, I guess, between Roger Waters and David Gilmour. And uh, there there they are. There's on the left is uh, David Gilmore and his Zionist wife, who says Roger is a terrible anti-Semite. And uh, so it's turned into a bit of a scandal that the Daily Mail can have fun with. I guess we have to have fun with it, too.
1: Yeah, I, actually, I think we should start wearing T-shirts. I think this I think this is the message here. Zelensky, do you, do you remember when the the uh, the Hollywood guys would show up at Zelensky's uh, to give, like when, uh, who was it, uh, Sean Penn gave him his Oscar. Everybody had to wear a T-shirt, and they they would all uh, lift weights so they'd have big biceps when they were coming in to give the, the T-shirt operation here. This is, uh, uh, Germany is going to ban uh, Roger Waters from speaking. The, the same type of situation that uh, all of these rock uh, gods, these rock idols uh, can go along uh, and do whatever they want as long as they toe the party line. And and uh, that's precisely what happened. Eric Clapton found this out. He was a guitar god. He towed the party line. He didn't tow the party line. And he was denounced by Rolling Stone, which had put him on the cover for 15 years or so, 15 times. And this is precisely what's uh, becoming apparent now that the all these guys, not just the black rappers, they all have a golden chain around their neck which uh, can get yanked at will whenever they they do something that the the oligarchs don't like. The question is who's going to win out in the end? Is Roger is is Seymour Hirsch going to win out over the New York Times? Is Roger Waters going to win out? Uh, I think eventually the tide's going to turn and these guys are going to end up on top. And the ridiculous da- Daily Mail is the absolute worst, absolute worst propaganda outlet in the world right now, as far as I can tell
0: yeah well you know calling him a a loon i guess It, it reminds me of back when i was suddenly in the fox news you know hannity spotlight uh for they call they were calling me a a nut most people think you're a nut uh so i think when when these kinds of outlets are calling you a loon or a nut you're probably doing something right uh and certainly roger waters is doing a lot of things right um, and so he's taking uh you know he's taking the 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 rotten fruit and stuff coming from the usual suspects but that's just part of the game i guess well let's move on to iran this is the 44th anniversary of the islamic revolution and i was there for some of the lead up to it but i i i'm not there today i wouldn't be able to do the show from there because the internet is is garbage over there at least where i've been it's one of the few things i don't like about iran along with the traffic in tehran but uh it's a cool place overall and here are these pictures we saw this is the Revolution in 1979 here are the people celebrating today uh and I published this piece from Tehran on how that Chinese balloon story looks real different from Iran because you know the Americans were so upset about a Chinese Spy balloon floating across America, and boy, it's a good thing we finally shot it down. Well, hey, you know the Iranians have a real issue with a hostile power, the United States, which has slaughtered seventeen thousand civilians in terror attacks it supports, among other misdeeds. Uh, flying over their territory, and so they defend themselves and they shoot stuff down, such as this two hundred million dollar RQ four A drone, which I got to see in the Tehran Aerospace Museum, and we learned that the Iranians have shot down or captured at least one of all major U.S. drones. They've got a great reverse engineering program, and now they're a premier global drone power. know, uh, so, Mike, I, I wish you'd been there for this. Uh, uh, this tour of the aerospace museum. Well, here, here's, how, here's how they shot down the uh, spy balloon, I guess <laughs> it's Bubba and Mrs. Bubba, as I referred to them in the article, taking down that spy balloon. <laughs> but yeah. The, the Iranians uh, actually, you know, that spy balloon was 60,000 feet. So that's a pretty good shot with that beer bottle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, this drone was 60,000 feet too. And taking out a, a drone with massive, you know, all sorts of technology to disguise it at 60,000 feet is a lot harder than taking out a balloon. Anyway, this is what took out the drone this is the iranian missile that took it out um here's the uh, anti-aircraft platform this is apparently better than the russian s300 in several respects and it's all 100 indigenous made by iran in iran like they're pretty much everything there uh and then here's the obama please give it back drone the rq 170 which uh, they electronically hijacked and landed unharmed and then obama begged them to give it back but for some reason they didn't i figured well you know i could ask them to give it back to me but if they wouldn't give it back to obama they probably wouldn't give it back to me either anyway it was fun uh, seeing all that stuff uh and now they're they're having death to israel missiles as well so so mike you should have come with us and and checked out that aerospace museum
1: yeah uh the the significant event i think was just landing that first drone under the, when uh, this under one yeah. the obama because yeah. it shows it shows how i mean shooting it down is one thing but landing it Uh, intact and then being able to take it apart and reverse engineer it. Now, that's really significant. I think that this is part of what's driving now the reluctance on the part of uh, NATO allies to send any type of serious material to uh, Ukraine now. They're afraid it's going to be captured or maybe even sold, sold uh, for some type of uh, uh, outrageous price so that it can be reverse engineered. Because it's not, it's not going to succeed on the battlefield. It's not going to work. Uh, I think everyone knows this is the end game, and they're reluctant to invest any more in this type of thing. But I think what happened during this period of time is that it was similar to what started with uh, when the Israelis uh, last time invaded Lebanon, and suddenly realized that the tanks were really vulnerable to missiles, and now you've got a whole situation like uh, the the. Uh, the United States sending high Mars missiles, uh, which cost between three and $6 million a shot every time you fire one off. Uh, and the other side being attacked by Iranian drones that cost $20,000 apiece, Swarms of Iranian drones uh, making the high Mars missile kind uh, uh, obsolete. This is the type of shift that's taking place in uh, military technology that is going to determine the war. It's going to determine, It's going to be quantity over quality for the most part in this war. And quantity is going to win out o- over uh, high-tech uh, quality things because they are vulnerable. I mean, some kid with a, his uh, model airplane could probably land one of these drones. That's probably what happened. Something like that. It, these are very vulnerable be- because of the electronic uh, uh, configuration, uh, the the computers that need need to run them. One of the things that just happened, uh, I don't know where did you whether you were talking about this or not, but uh, Elon Musk just shut down Starlink over over Ukraine. Uh, did it probably because the Russians figure out where the links were and they threatened to blow it up. This is the Achilles heel to all of these operations, and war is going to be the time when they discover the Achilles heel.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, So, yeah, Iran actually shot down a couple more, uh, in this case, Israeli quadcopters just before I went there last week. They attacked a drone factory in Isfahan and with, I believe it was, three quadcopters. And two of those quadcopters were intercepted by the Iranian electronic air defenses, and they had to push their self-destruct buttons and blow themselves up so they couldn't be reverse engineered but the third the iranians were able to uh, stop it from pushing the self destruct button so they got that one and so they got one of those israeli quadcopters and they no, none of the three did any damage to the drone factory so uh, they're actually iran is doing pretty well in its yeah, struggle this, with israel this, and the us
1: this is a, this is an important story because this doesn't get reported over here when you told me about this about the counterattack that was the first time i heard it you're not going to get that in the news, you know no,
0: it's just like with Ukraine the the western media says ukraine is winning ukraine is winning winning russia's losing russia's losing they think that by repeating that over and over it will somehow make it come true and the same is true with the war on iran all we ever hear about is when iran gets hit when iran hits back which it does very effectively uh you never hear that like we all heard about the top iranian rocket scientists or high-level uh, nuclear scientists getting assassinated you didn't hear that just months later the founder of israel's rocket program Uh, Died of uh, not a thousand cuts, as Netanyahu had said, but a hundred cuts, and they stabbed him exactly a hundred times to send that message. Uh, There, this kind of tit for tat retaliation in all of these respects, um, including a a huge explosion in an Israeli rocket factory recently, uh, and as well as all sorts of successful Iranian captures of various ships to force them to release the Iranian ships. Iran has fought them to a draw in this proxy war or this uh, this fourth generation uh, war and uh, that's why iran feels confident enough to do stuff like br- pulling out these missiles with death to israel on them i mean normally knowing how insane the zionists are you know you put that out there and you're just inviting destruction well iran isn't afraid of israel anymore
1: yeah no yeah. The, the the technology has changed i think it began with uh, the attack uh, when hezbollah basically Sent the uh, Israeli army uh, back into Israel after they only got five hundred yards into lebanon. the The tank was created as the antidote to the machine gun uh, the, uh, because during World War one they didn't there was no. It was a standoff because both sides had machine guns. And so what you're seeing is this constant development of technology uh, where one uh, weapon comes up and 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 uh, suddenly trumps trumps the other weapon. that That's what's happening in Ukraine right now. The the Russians are learning in a way that the Americans are not, and that's going to decide the battle.
0: That's right. And and there is this asymmetrical warfare aspect of these cheaper ballistic missiles, like this Iranian missile, that it requires a vastly more expensive missile to take down so iran has all of israel as well as every u.s base in the region every u.s ship in the region in its gun sites which provides a powerful deterrent just like the north koreans have with uh, seoul korea and all of those u.s military installations in their gun sites so it's just you know being the biggest military power like the u.s is doesn't mean that you can completely push everybody else around and i heard about a lot of this from uh, this this uh wonderful lecture from Dr. Hosh Chesson. and again you would have enjoyed this lecture Mike I really I missed you there in Tehran uh, we've met there so many times, um, and uh, this I thought it was a terrific lecture and I wrote this piece pointing out that future historians may think that this US decision to target russia china and iran at the same time and especially iran the one that we really shouldn't be targeting at all we should be friends with uh, this this could end up writing a whole new chapter in barbara tuckman's the march of folly uh, about the worst de- decisions ever made in history
1: yeah well you're talking about people who uh, are in rebellion against logos you're talking about this jewish arrogance the neoconservative, I, you know, you, I know you know this, but it's a code word for Jew, and people don't. You've want mentioned to say that once Jew. or twice, I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, Bill Kristol told me that. He said "neo" means new and "con" means Jew, so he he knew it and he he, he made it public at a certain point. But you, you, it, unless we can identify the group, we can't talk about the group, and we can't talk about the characteristics of the group. And this group is their identity is rejection of logos, and logos is reason. And so when you reject Logos, you reject limits, you reject any type of understanding. You think you can win any discussion by walking in and saying, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. That's the end of the discussion. This is the way Anthony Blinken entered into the discussion with, with the Russians over the Ukraine. Well, it didn't get anywhere, and now they're losing. So what I'm saying here is you can't uh, hand, you can't delegate your foreign responsibility Uh, Your foreign policy to people who think they can win er every argument by saying they have relatives who died in the Holocaust. It's not going to work. They don't have the skills, the diplomatic skills or the military skills. They think that we're all powerful. They think the truth is the opinion of the powerful, which is the motto of the New York Times. And it's not. You need some type of humility before reality, before logos in order to be successful. And that's why they're failing.
0: Well, over in Iran, they know very well that the U.S. and the West are dominated by ethnically Jewish people who are, for the most, pretty much all, uh, Zionists. So what they try to do is get along with the Jews who live in Iran. They get extra representation in parliament and stuff, but they don't get to run the place, (laughs) unlike certain other countries. And so they they have no problem with Notori Karta. They have no problem with the Jews in Iran. So they like to say that they have the problem with the Zionists. They don't like to say Jews. But, uh, you know, the reality, and it is what it is, right? I mean, what can you say? Uh, so in, in this lecture, Dr. Hush Shesim talked about the 14 battlegrounds of the hybrid war. And I wrote about this in the article, you know, this war of perception, making it look like, oh, everybody in Iran is revolting against the government. Uh, the women all hate the hijab, which is nonsense. Uh, they they stopped enforcing mandatory hijab. And so now at the airport, maybe, you know, like uh, one out of 20 women doesn't wear hijab. And on the streets, maybe, you know, one or two out of 100, probably depending on which street you go to uh this this perception is is totally off bait everything in the western media you read about iran is nonsense uh then they they're doing assassinations cyber attacks sabotage uh this was our this is our friend arash who wrote this bleeping with shipping this is these are actually arash's notes shout out to our good friend arash uh, and and on, and on and on so so the, this hybrid war on iran looks like it's stalled it's failing and now what are they going to do? Are they going to accelerate? Are they going to escalate? Are they going to go nuclear? Well, they can't because Iran has a deterrent at every step up the escalation ladder.
1: Okay, now to talk about the war and perception, specifically with the war in, in on the hijab. Okay, what, what should have happened, like from my perspective, from the perspective of the West, is that the government should have announced that it it's voluntary. Now that is, uh, from what I'm hearing from you, the word went out to the morality police or something like that, but it wasn't made public. If it were made public and the fact uh, that people, all right, so 10%, 10% show up without, but 90% show up wearing the hijab, it would have meant that the people chose the hijab.
0: Well, that, that's what has happened pretty much, except it's a lot. I think it's more than 90% that are still wearing it.
1: Right. But the problem here is that that's not the way, that, if you're talking about the the war of perception, that's not the perception. So that that simply did not get out over here. Didn't get out. Well, it, I it wonder why just, that
0: could be. Yeah,
1: you know, I, under, I understand. <laughs> I understand. But the point here is if they they should have made, uh, I don't look, I can't judge. I don't know what was going on, but it should have been made more public because once it becomes public and you have 90 percent of the people wearing the hijab, so, so- then it becomes a, a defeat for the for the revolution, for the for the CIA.
0: So, so the Iranian, you're, you're, what you're saying is that the Iranians should have asked the Jews who own the Western media to sell them some of the media so they could make it
1: public. It, did they make it public in Iran? That's the question. Did they do yeah, that? Yeah, or- of course.
0: That, that's, yeah you actually you, you do see some women with no hijab at all back when we were there it was the ones who didn't want to wear a job would just put this little tiny ribbon about that big on one strand of the hair and show all the rest of their hair and they could get away with that now those people who are like one out of a huge number a tiny tiny minority that don't like any hijab, they just don't they don't bother with any hijab, and you see a few of them and they're, not, they're a no they're having no problems
1: I didn't see any woman without a hijab. Yeah, right, it's it's,
0: it's changed because they, they they did publicly announce that they that that uh, group they call it's not the it's the the guidance squad or whatever it's not that Morelli police anyway that that group was given orders to no longer. Uh, do what they had been doing, which is wander around the streets and basically offer friendly advice, like, oh, sister, sister, you're, that's bad hijab, or you know, please, da-da-da-da, and then if, if they get a bad reaction, then they write a parking ticket, basically, is how it works, and of course, oh, all what? this non- nonsense we hear in America about this, just insane, it's complete lies.
1: But was there a public announcement or did they just talk? No, to yeah, the
0: of course there was. No, there was a public announcement that the guidance squad would no longer be enforcing hijab. So it's totally official, no hijab enforcement. And that happened like four months ago. And, yeah, okay. we never heard about it over here okay. because guess who owns our media?
1: Right. No, that, <laughs> ma- that makes sense.
0: OK, so. uh I mean, you can get some of the truth about this stuff from sources like Press TV, which, of course, is jammed and taken down from all the satellites. And you can't get it in Germany at the airport of Germany. I couldn't get Press TV or RT, which pissed me off. I wrote a Facebook post that stirred up a huge storm over that. But uh, in any case, you can get the other side of the story from some of these kinds of outlets. uh, And the majority opinion among women in Iran is that the Islamic Revolution was a really good thing. The uh, literacy rate jumped from 17% up to 73% in 2017, a little higher now. The biggest reason for that is that the vast majority of the Iranian population is conservative. Well over 50% of the Iranian population is basically traditional, conservative, and religious. And those folks didn't want to send their daughters, and the daughters didn't want to be sent, to universities during the Shah's era because universities were hotbeds of vice. And since the revolution, the universities being no longer hotbeds of ice, the women are all getting educated. And now they, they're 60% of the university students. They're like 35% of the faculty. And they're doing very well, thank you. And they really don't mind not being pieces of meat uh, with their bodies being displayed on billboards everywhere to sell people products. They actually don't mind having a hijab ethic where women are viewed as spiritual, intellectual beings and human beings, not pieces of meat. So that's how the people over there think, and that's how they think in most of the Islamic world, but somehow that hasn't gotten through the thick skulls of the Westerners, probably because of, again, who owns their media.
1: Yeah, the problem is whether uh, the educational system is not promoting de facto feminism in, mm-hmm. in Iran, in spite of their intentions. This, this, this is, I, there is a problem in iran right now and the problem is the demographic problem and demographic problems uh generally are correlate pretty closely to education for one reason or another and that's that's the crisis i think that they have to face up to that crisis and they have to look into whether the promotion of education isn't fueling This type of uprising that you saw, it may, there probably
0: What uprising, Mike? There's no, there was no uprising. See, the the very biggest anti-government demonstration during the past year had 600 people at it. Just 600. That was the biggest. Most of them are maybe a couple hundred if they're really lucky. But the reason you get all the news about it is because when 600 people gathered in Tehran, what happened was suddenly snipers and uh, guys in the, behind the demonstrators, the police were in front of the demonstrators, but the, behind the demonstrators in the crowd, guys with silencers, gladio operatives, started shot some demonstrators in the back with silenced pistols, uh, and then they had their agents going out and attacking police and trashing things and burning things, and that's what got into the news the uh, million, over a million people demonstrated pro government the, the biggest demonstration against the government in the past year had 600 people is all
1: well i mean I, i'm i'm so, i still think that there's a problem there i think there's a problem with the promotion of education that there's something that goes with it and i think that it, that's working against the the health of the iranian people and the manifestation of it is a demographic crisis where the people are, they have stopped having children. Yeah. Now, that's, yeah. That's a
0: problem that, everywhere. That, isn't it?
1: That's an, that's an unavoidable problem. You cannot have, uh, as soon as you start promoting careers for women, you're going to have a demographic crisis. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what happened. That's what happened. Around, I mean, I was there the first time they had all of these p- posters up of women looking into microscopes and looking at test tubes and all this other type of stuff, and saying this is you know this is what the Revol- Islamic revolution has brought to Iran. It empowered women, all this other type of stuff. Uh, but the do- the other side of the story is that they've stopped having children, and you ca- you can't have you can't have a culture without children. You have no future. That's the crisis that has to be solved right now, because right, if yeah. it isn't, they go out of existence
0: yeah i i I partially agree in islamic tradition it's the normal kind of the, the the standard thing for a woman to do is to marry and have children but the minority of women who are driven to have some kind of career to be scholars or what have you that's fine but it's it's true that today it's become the norm for women to have the careers which has caused the demographic crisis and other kinds of cultural breakdown things uh and so here's here's another Iran article that I've just published in The Crescent, which is the leading current affairs magazine uh, on, for Muslims in English. And I asked the question, why hasn't this spread? Iran's actually doing pretty well. As you said, the sanctions have backfired. Uh, Iran has achieved genuine independence and sovereignty. And the official Islamic system, despite it not working perfectly by any means, is a heck of a lot better than the alternatives in the region and so why don't the other countries want to follow this model and I came up with a bunch of reasons main one though is that the other side has successfully contained this they haven't been able to roll it back and and get regime change in Tehran but they have been able to use just really brutal methods to make sure that there's nothing like this anywhere else like they killed possibly as many as a million people in Afghanistan during the 1990s to prevent a democratic Islamic uh, takeover so Anyway, people can read the article for the details.
1: Yeah, uh, there's no question that uh, the United States has been waging war against Islam for, for years now. It's clear they were on the list. Uh, and uh, all of the wars in the Middle East are a result of the, the attempt to destroy uh, Islam as a political force. Okay, yeah. but if you're asking, the, the, the issue here in Iran, I think it's more complicated because in Iran, it's not just islam you've got a persian culture that goes uh, uh a thousand years before the arrival of islam and islam always had an une- uneasy relationship with iran the iranians are uh, unlike the uh most of the people in northern africa who were conquered by the the arabs didn't give up their language and there is a residual uh what should i say uh, persian nationalism that is a cohesive force in Iran that simply cannot be ignored and, and it may uh, be under the umbrella. When you say the Iran's revolution, you're talking about an Islamic revolution that did not originate from the mind of the Persian people. It was the Ayatollah Khomeini got it from Syed Kutub. It was the Islamic Brotherhood, and it was imposed on Iran uh, in the same way that the invasion was imposed on Iran so I'm saying that for the future of Iran there's going to be have to some have to be some type of course correction that is going to allow more of this Iranian Persian uh I- national identity to be heard and come to the fore I think that that it, it, it can't continue the way it's going you can't have a revolution forever I personally think that the Iranian Revolution, died with the Ayatollah Khomeini in 1989. And at that point, there should have been a course correction. And now I think it's imperative that they have a a course correction. I think they understand it because uh, the the course correction on the hijab is part of what we're talking about here. But but,
0: but Mike, look, here's the demonstration uh, today. Millions of people were out there celebrating the revolution. The biggest anti-government demonstrations have had 600 people. The government made hijab de, de facto optional, and as a result, a tiny fraction, almost you hardly see any, a tiny fraction of women go out without hijab and have no problems. So it's it, your argument that there's this huge Persian nationalist thing that doesn't like being Muslim and yada, 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 I, I don't see it. It's quite the opposite. I, I think that uh, the Islamic culture in Iran is very uh fix I, it's 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 been islamic since what the the 7th 8th century and i think people embraced islam in iran every bit as fervently as they did in other places like morocco which i'm familiar with so i, I, don't, don't, I don't i don't i don't think, I don't think there's any, any contradiction between uh, national identity and islamic identity
1: i think there is a distinction and i think that they did they did not embrace it in the same way that morocco did they retained their language and there's always been this. Well, I mean, Shia Islam is not the same as Sh- Sunni Islam. I think that Shia Islam is, in many ways, an Iranian protest against the Arabic conquest. No, it, no,
0: no. Sh- Shia Islam is is it's been around everywhere. It was they they had all of North Africa, much of the Middle East during the Fatimid period. Uh, Shia Islam is it's just one of the five schools. It's not somehow fundamentally any different.
1: But it's Iranian no it, it's not it, it has to,
0: nothing to do with being Iranian the, 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 t- the great t- Shia t- scholars t- are over in Iraq they're Arab They're in in, in Lebanon they're Arab in India but they're Arab means- in Pakistan or in India they're Indian in Pakistan they're Pakistani Shia Islam is a global thing there are even some in Malaysia where it's illegal and uh in Indonesia where it's also illegal so it's it's Africa's full of Shia Muslims the United States of America is full of Shia Muslims just as it's full of Maliki's and the other schools of law so this this idea that there's something specifically iranian about shia islam is just nonsense it just so happens to be there now just like it so happened to be morocco was shia at one point and egypt was was the center of the Fatimid shia dynasty
1: well uh the uh, i met with the ayatollah shakhru the last time i was there and the first thing he started talking about was the saudis and how they were not real they were not really muslims and the I know the Sunni consider the Shia heretics and uh, ISIS would happily behead a Shia before they would behead a Christian. The, I, I don't think you can ignore this difference. No, and yeah, but, think... but
0: that's not how, that's not the case. That, that's just a weird thing that just happened recently. It's, it, yeah, this this kind of sectarian stuff has popped up in history here and there, but not nearly to the extent that Protestant Catholic uh, the schism happened here with the wars of religion. That for the most part, Uh, Sunni and Shia have tended to get along, partly because the Shia are willing to go in, you know, be relatively low-key about what they're doing until it's time for them to really stand up for justice or rebel or whatever. But no, it's really ultimately throughout most of history. For instance, in the 1990s here, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, going to the mosque, Uh, Some Shia guys were in our mosque. Nobody thinks even the slightest thing about it. Kashmiri and Pakistani Shia uh, who were praying next to the uh, Africans, the North Africans, the Middle Easterners. uh, uh, It's all the same. It's nobody cared. The only reason that you're hearing all this stuff about all this violence and stuff is because that was created by the forces that invaded the region and specifically used false flag terror and propaganda and their friends. inside The leadership of Saudi Arabia is, is guilty of this. And to some extent, some of the Shia leaders is is guilty of falling for it too but this is not the natural state it wasn't the way it was in the 90s or any most almost any other time you know this this war has been created and provoked for geostrategic purposes uh but ultimately shia islam it's no it's just it's the jaffari medhub it's one of five major law schools in islam and it's no more distant from any of the other four than any of the other four are distant from each other
1: Well, maybe from the point of Islam, but from the point of view of Iran, I think there's a residual Iranian consciousness that has reservations about Islam. I think they do, especially if you cast it as Saudi uh, hegemony or Arabic hegemony. It was there. But but that's what the first thing out of the Aliyatollah Shakur's mouth was was about uh, Islam, the supreme leader. When I heard his speech, he said, "How can we tell true Islam from false Islam? There, there, this distinction is is there." And I think that when you're seeing a manifestation now on the streets, what you're seeing is the the Iranian people are standing together; they're united against a foreign in in invader. That's in Zionism. Zionism. Sure, I mean, in yeah. America, it's Zionism. Yeah, it's sure, that's sure, that's what it is, and that's yeah. holding. That's holding uh something together that is is not is is ready to, what what can i what can i say this you can talk about iranian patriotism as a reaction to foreign invasion and seeing this as islam as part of the bulwark against it but i still think they're different things
0: mm-hmm. yeah i don't think so see it you know arab 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 it, the, the Arab has nothing to do with Islam. They're just, Arab Christians are just as big a force in the Arab world as Arab Muslims, really. Uh, the, the intellectuals are, tend to be Christian. So, Arab does not have anything to do with Islam. Arab Christian, Arab Muslim, same thing. Uh, is, Islam is a religion, and the vast majority, the vast, huge majority, like what, 90, 80, 90% of the world's Muslims are not Arab. So, so that you know, this notion that being Persian or Indonesian or whatever, has, or American in my case, has anything to do with making you less of so Muslim, thats insane. That's that's like saying you have to be, you know, it, it, Italian to to be uh, a Christian. Um, but anyway, let, let's we'll have to argue about this uh, down the line because we have more stuff to discuss uh how about the mistakes were made section on the covid wars oh my goodness uh look at this Dr. Fauci is admitting that the vaccine uh wasn't successful whoa I'm glad he told us this and uh the uh uh now, now a new study is showing that face masks aren't successful Well, who knew who knew that the vaccine wasn't any good who knew that face masks weren't any good we did but they deflatformed us and silenced us when we tried to say so
1: yeah, the, the uh, creator of Dilbert apparently uh, uh, issued a video saying, you were right, the The anti-vaxxers were right, they are now immune to this thing in a way that the people took the vaccination are not, and they also not susceptible to all of the heart-related uh, problems that are being caused by the spike proteins that the, your body produced when you got the thing. So the it's I, I'm going back to the uh to the whole story of uh, the fall of the regime. There's some things that can only happen after the regime falls, and so the Stasi files only came out after the regime fell. I think that what we're talking about here is something like this: we we're having we're trying in Indiana. There's a big struggle going on right now over public health because the governor is being offered three hundred million dollars for the CDC from the CDC. Now what politician is going to turn down 300 million dollars? The point of this is to establish a, a computer database of everyone who has been vaccinated or not vaccinated. So it's the thin end of the totalitarian uh, control wedge uh using science and medicine as the uh, as the thin end of the wedge.
0: It, it, but they're if it's, they're doing this at the same time they're admitting that the vaccines really didn't work.
1: Yes, there's cognitive dissonance here. You're Even Bill Gates right. here. <laughs> there's cognitive dissonance going on. I'm saying at the level of the state house in Indiana, uh, nobody is to- to- uh, they, all they're doing is to- uh, repeating the CDC talking point. Now, how is uh, what will have to happen on the local level is that the state of Indiana will have to turn down that three hundred million dollars. If that happens, then the people will have spoken. The people will have, to some extent, regained their control over the government. Uh, so maybe it will be incremental, things like that. But uh, the big issue is going to be when, whenever Bill Gates unleashes his next uh, pandemic, uh, what's going to be the reaction after people have read these type of stories?
0: Well, maybe Bill will take pity on us and hesitate to release his next uh, scourge until they actually have something that works against it uh that's that's the silver lining in the dark cloud of vaccine failure is that now they may think twice before they launch their next bio attack on china or iran or whoever they're going to attack uh but because the face masks don't work either i mean there's really this you know the, the Nothing works very well. Uh, vitamin D and sunshine, being in good shape, not being overweight—that's probably pretty much. You know, maybe a little HCQ and ivermectin. Uh, that's probably just as good as you know this this vaccine protection that wears off so fast that messes with your immune system. So it's it's clear that really you know none of this stuff worked that they were trying to force on us <laughs> just a year or two ago. And um, well, all I can say is I just I hope I hope this gives them pause when they're thinking about launching their next bioattack.
1: Yeah, or the next one will be anthrax or something like that. The question is, how do we prevent this from happening? How, how can we do anything? We need regime our, change here, Mike. <laughs> I think we. I think we do. I think this is exactly the point that at some point we're going to have to have this uh, shift where these packs are going to be accepted, even if the oligarchs don't like them. Uh, that will regain control over the government, and then that will prevent cataclysm. Because if you don't. The only alternative is cataclysm, which is exactly what's happening in the Ukraine. You could have talked to the Russians. You could have said, OK, we'll declare it neutral and we'll save everybody a lot of trouble. But the people when you put Blinken in charge, when you put Newland in charge, when you put Zelensky in charge, you're, you're handing it over to people who don't know how to how to how to act rationally. That's yeah. the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's as I I put in in one of those articles I mentioned earlier, you know, everybody seems to think that Iran is run by uh, radical Islamic fanatics and, you know, unstable people. That's why we can't let them get nuclear weapons. But look at who's running the U.S. and and the Western Empire. I mean, they're the ones who are completely insane and would not be trusted by any sane person with nuclear weapons. Uh, The Iranians, by contrast, are really the adults in the room. So to say that, I guess that makes us dissidents, and uh, the United States is now threatened by dissidents and by dissent, according to none other than Doctor Henry Kissinger. There he is. Uh, he basically thinks that Americans have to be herded back into the same corral in terms of you know the propaganda bringing them together with one purpose, or else we're not going to be able to what win World War Three. Is that what he's talking about, Mike?
1: This is this goes all the way back to the beginning of the twentieth century. When uh, the oh, uh, what what was the name of the famous pundit Walter Lippman wrote a mm-hmm. book called uh, something about public uh, public public conscience basically said democracy is not going to work. Uh, Walter Lipp was a Jew. Kissinger is a Jew. Uh, I'm telling you, it's a category of reality, and they have a certain attitude toward majorities because they're always a minority. And the, the attitude is you can't let those people do what they think is right, because they're always wrong. They're stupid goyim and they can't be trusted. So they have to be managed. And Lipman Lipman's book led to the creation of Time magazine and Time magazine then became the propaganda ministry for the for the regime. And it was perception management. And it was great. It was like the tank at the beginning of World War II, but now, uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, they're not publishing Seymour Hersh anymore at the New York Times. And so this mass media paradigm is like, uh, what should I say? It was It's an obsolete technology in the information wars. And th- someone's going to have to face up to the fact. Right now, you've got these people whose only way to face up with change is doubling down on the bad idea that they're invested in. That's got to change. You have to persuade these people that your day is over and you need to move on to some type of more rational conclusion, uh, rational policy. And that's not going to happen unless we can identify who the people are and why they are doing this.
0: Okay. Well, we we need an uprising by the reality-based community against these people who say we're an empire now and uh, we could do anything we want and uh, create any reality we want. So speaking of propaganda, uh, the uh, New York Times uh, is worried about this lawsuit by the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana. Who are suing the White House and government officials for deplatforming them during this COVID period of crackdown on free speech? And here's the New York Times wondering whether the First Amendment has become a barrier to virtually any government efforts to stifle a problem that threatens public health. So basically, the New York Times looks like they're ready to jettison the First Amendment. Uh, I thought the New York Times was, you know, would used to stand behind people like Seymour Hirsch and Daniel Ellsberg. What's what's going on?
1: Yeah. a newspaper is against the First Amendment yeah 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 <laughs> wait a minute what something happened here this is proof that the New York Times is not a newspaper it's the propaganda Ministry of the American Empire now do they know that are they ready to uh, willing to admit the consequences of what they just said because that's what's going on here the question is is the New York Times going to uh are they going to uh 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 say the sorry, are they going to say they're wrong? Are they going to say no? Wait a minute! Truth is not the opinion of the powerful, which is the way we've been operating for decades now. Are we going to go back to real journalism? Are we going to welcome Seymour Hirsch back to the staff here? Uh, I don't think so. I think that they've they've plotted their course. They are going to go on uh, like Ahab on this monomaniacal crusade that is going to destroy them. Going to destroy them.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to hold my breath until they rehire uh, Seymour Hirsch. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's working out well for them. They really uh, do need to get back to their roots in real journalism, or it certainly would seem that way to me. But uh, the censorship and the you know, the unfreedom the rollback of the First Amendment is continuing despite that lawsuit we just mentioned that the New York Times doesn't like. Uh, Here's a piece by Jonathan Turley pointing out that along with that lawsuit by those attorney generals from the red states, we're also going to have some hearings in Congress about this weaponization of government agencies and this uh, attack on free speech that we saw with the Twitter files. So things could get kind of interesting here.
1: Yeah, they're going to have to. Uh, we have to be able to have some type of meeting here because at the at the moment that they're cracking down, it's the very moment that it's an indication that they lost control. That's why they're cracking down. So yeah, they're do? How how are they going to the the the, the uh, Seymour Hearst thing? The other what you're seeing now is that internet is driving the mainstream news. the The classic example would be Tucker Carlson who is now getting his leads from the Internet, not just the Seymour Hersh thing, which is an Internet story, bypassing the New York Times. The whole, I think we're going to cover it at some point, but the whole uh, FBI SPLC story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tucker Carlson covered that. Uh, It's an Internet story. So the Internet is taking the lead. It's the tail wagging the dog here now.
0: Yeah, Twitter and Substack, uh, especially Substack, are really becoming the go-to places for uh, real journalism, real discussion, interesting opinion. Uh, Well, Columbia Journalism Review, which is the premier journalism critic outfit in the Academy, just published something pretty good. This is kind of a man bites dog story that Columbia Journalism Review, this very official uh, organ, would come up with something this accurate and comprehensive essentially going over the whole Trump-Russia hoax, which it turns out that's pretty much what it was. They certainly didn't prove anything. I mean, maybe Trump's a Russian agent, but he didn't really act like it. He kept arming Ukraine throughout his presidency. And all of this nonsense that they claimed turned out not to be true. It took Robert Mueller seven hours to say so. So anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting that the Columbia Journalism Review could put out this four-part series uh, in depth, basically admitting that uh, Trump-Russia was a big hoax.
1: Well, that's because they're in the business of training journalists. Uh, so the, the whole definition of journalism now is up for grabs. If you if you get hired by a mainstream outlet, can you do journalism or, or do you simply uh, repeat the talking points? Has everyone become a talking head where they hand you the talking points that just got passed down from some type of government agency and you repeat them with uh, on air? It looks that, that way yeah that, like, that, Roger
0: waters but, is is a, is a Russian agent and they all basically Roger Waters attacked Roger Waters smeared. everybody hates Roger Waters yeah,
1: yeah. but that that's precisely the, the the discussion that you would have to have in a journalism school, isn't it uh, Absolutely. because of, what are we what are being trained for yeah
0: well when I was in journalism school, I don't remember them telling me I was being trained to be a propagandist. Of course, you know, I think 80 to 90 percent of the students were going into PR anyway. But I took the news courses and the real serious journalism courses, and they never told me that I was supposed to be carrying water for the CIA. Quite the opposite. This was the Watergate era. And at that time, they didn't yet know that Watergate was a deep state coup d'etat. So the assumption was that journalists were supposed to do their job, which is journalism. But my, how things have changed. And one of the reasons they've changed is the problem of zychopathy. Right, the psychopaths are out there uh, doing all well. They've taken over our government, and they're also occupying Palestine and shooting kids on a daily basis. Uh, so far this year, I guess when when this when I took that screenshot, it was forty two Palestinians had been killed, and it's probably more by now. Uh, shooting kids in the face for no particular reason. They just come in there and uh, fire away. Uh, the IDF, you know, here, and here's CNN actually reporting this uh pointing out that the israelis go in there and that they they lie and say that they're going after terrorists but actually they just go in and shoot at everything that moves uh so when even cnn is uh telling us this you know that the current israeli government is really out of control
1: so truth isn't just the opinion of the powerful because the powerful have always supported israel and yet we have this moral indignation There's something bigger than their propaganda, which is basically your moral conscience, which is part of uh, your reason. That's practical reason. And uh, in the end, uh, the propaganda may deceive you, but it can't trump your moral indignation. Can't do it. And so eventually uh, they're going to fail. Eventually all these things are going to fail. Uh, That's the story here. That's the story that's coming out these things should not be happening now everyone it was like uh it was like the uh ruth bader ginsburg saying abortion is settled law well it turns out it wasn't ruth uh why wasn't that well because there's something bigger than the opinion of the powerful and that's reason and that's conscious conscience and these things will triumph in the end so the question is uh, are you going to, are you going to invest in a failing narrative it's like exactly what the the european countries are thinking about with the ukraine that's the analogy are we going to send leopard tanks to the ukraine so they can be blown up and we will be left defenseless that's the type of thing that we we're, we're seeing across the board here are we going to invest in a failing empire for monetary momentary temporary monetary gain or career or something like that Or are we going to invest in the things that will secure us over the long haul, namely uh, logos, uh, the truth, uh, morality, all of those things? That's the question.
0: And it's good to see somebody at CNN actually having enough moral indignation to get upset about this uh the jewish people who are so disproportionately overrepresented in the mainstream media they well, many of them have consciences probably the vast majority uh philip weiss had to resign from the new york times uh, and some of these other people i think probably aren't too happy about what they're seeing in the current ultra extremist israeli government so maybe we'll see a little bit of more truth shining through or peeking through the cracks at least of the mainstream media on the is israel's genocide of palestine but let's, let's move on to the Culture Wars category, which I don't know if I'm allowed to use that expression without paying you a nickel because you copyrighted it, right, Mike? Right, yes, yeah. yes. Culture Wars magazine. Uh, so here's, here's this, you can't make this stuff up uh, stories. You know, the people in Iran uh, just asked me about some of this. Is, is this really true? the americans really doing this stuff well yeah apparently they are and so now we have this riley Gaines, uh the swimming star who got uh, thrashed by leah thomas who's apparently a, a man who decided that he wanted to call himself a woman and compete in women's uh, swimming that he's uh he's exposing his stuff in the locker room uh basically flashing the girls in the locker room before he beats their pants off in the swimming meet so uh nobody around can believe that this is true but I guess it
1: is. Well, if the powerful say it's true, it's true.
0: That men can Isn't be women, true? women can I, I, be men.
1: I, I, it's yeah. true. It's true until the guy takes down his pants and it turns out, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I, I guess it's not true. I guess. It, and so what are we going to do about that? Tell the girl to shut up? No, this is a real crisis here because the logic of this sexual revolution has devoured its own children. And the child I'm talking about is Title IX. Title IX was created under the assumption that women were equal to men uh, physically uh, and in sports. That was an illusion. That was never true. And now the logic is beginning to expose that no, it's not true. It's not true that men. This is the the cunning of reason, as Hegel would say. It's bringing out the truth that men are physically superior to women. It's that simple. And so uh, you can one or the other has to go. If you want Title IX and women's sports, you're going to have to make, yes, women are inferior physically to men, uh, but they still should have the right to compete with each other. You can't have it both ways. They're, we're reaching a crossroads, and the problem is that the universities can't make up their minds until the guy takes his, oh, wait a minute, I guess he's not a woman after all, in spite of his long hair.
0: Yeah, yeah, the truth has a way of uh, of popping up and exposing itself at uh, opportune moments. So, uh, speaking of culture wars here, what, what's this? The American Jewish tourist is arrested in Jerusalem, vandalizing the statue of Jesus. What is the mentality of this American Jewish guy going to Jerusalem and uh, and attacking uh, a Jesus statue? I mean, in in Islam, you know, we're not big on Jesus statues. We're not big on, you know, we have this this iconoclastic tradition of being afraid that if you if you make too many really nice looking artworks and statues and you know start worshiping them it ends up turning into idolatry so i kind of you know i'm I'm not like defending jesus statues or anything but no muslim that i know of except for maybe a, you know these crazy taliban guys who blow up anything would ever do this but for some reason a kind of normal jewish american tourist the kind of guy who might be living next door to you or me goes to jerusalem and he has to attack the jesus statue what's with that mike it's the
1: jewish hatred of logos Turning point. I knew you we were going to say that. <laughs> Why'd you ask that? <laughs> I, I've been down this road before. It was the turning point of human history when the, the uh, Jesus Christ arrived and the Jews crucified him, and that became their identity. Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. They uh, rejected the Logos incarnate. They rejected Logos, which is the order of the universe. It's reason and what makes us uh, our uh, essence. We are rational creatures, and they hate it. And so any manifestation of Jesus will set off hatred in a Jew. And the problem, a lot of them are able to control it, but some people can't. Maybe it was because he was in Jerusalem. Maybe it was all becoming too too uh, too relevant too present for him that he couldn't restrain himself but it's there and we we it's only a surprise if you uh ban categories from your mind if you say i can't deal with categories a category like the jews we can't it is a category it's a category of reality it has certain meaning it has certain content and this hatred of christ is part of the content That's simple what's the problem why is this surprising
0: I guess it's not surprising. Um, Obligatory disclaimer, though, for the there. I don't know how many of my viewers don't realize that Muslims love Jesus, but just in case there are any that don't realize that yet, yes, Muslims love Jesus. Jews don't. There's a real big difference there. It's kind of strange that everybody is talking about Judeo-Christianity and the Christians are supposed to be uh, allied with the Jews in this war against the Muslims, when actually uh, it's the Muslims and the Christians that love Jesus and the Jews that don't, but neither here nor there i guess people uh, are going to be irrational one way or another and speaking of irrational how about the fbi going after the radical catholics because they are somehow vaguely linked to the white supremacists and and the terrorists and so on and so forth i mean i'm a little concerned about this mike i mean they might actually think that you're some kind of radical catholic well uh,
1: actually this story is all about me kevin Oh, okay. That doesn't look like you. I'm at the center of this story. No,
0: I'm looking at the picture of this guy. That, I don't think that's you.
1: No, I know, but he's the guy who exposed the memo. The memo first of all, uh that this information in the headline there, uh Radical did not refer to Latin Mass Catholics. That's a recent add-on. This began with a memo from the Southern Poverty Law Center listing uh a dirty dozen of radical traditional Catholics. The Latin mass was never mentioned. This list came out in 2007 and culture wars was on the list.
0: Hey, congratulations. I was, I was afraid you were feeling left out. I'm glad you made the list.
1: uh, No. And why was culture wars on the list? Because Heidi Byrick of the Southern poverty law center who made up the list attended a speech that I gave in Washington, DC at the Sam Francis Memorial. Uh, Sam Francis had died it was a memorial thing and I gave a speech there in which I said the culture wars are not about left versus right it's not about black versus white it's not about Latin mass versus no I didn't say that because no one thought that I said it's between the Jewish revolutionary spirit and the Catholics that's the battle here and Heidi and it blew up the entire meeting Taki was there he said we're all going to be arrested because I had said <laughs> I said the word jew you, you said the no j word allowed to say that word. you I said the word and I blew the whole thing up because I it, it destroyed the whole uh, inner logic that these people are try it's not liberal conservative Heidi Byrick was in the audience She wrote an article mentioning me, and she said, basically, uh, E. Michael Jones was red-faced and shouting. Okay, yeah, I was. There were cameras, uh, lights there. It was very hot. But what she didn't mention is that I blew up the racial narrative and replaced it with a religious narrative. Uh, And so what she did then later... A year later, she publishes this list, and I'm on the list. Those people had nothing whatsoever to do with any other people on the list. She made it up completely out of her own head, uh, trying to open up a new front on the culture wars, which is basically going after traditional radical Catholics. So again, Latin mass had nothing to do with it at that point. That's a later spin on it that's trying to turn this battle into, once again, an internal front among the Catholics
0: right i have some catholic friends who are into the latin mass as well as others who aren't um but yeah that's that's uh anyway good shout out to this kyle seraphim guy for breaking open this story and, and blowing the whistle on it well you know catholics aren't the only ones who are targeted as you know mike the anglicans are pretty targeted too now it's hate speech to say anything negative whatsoever about any kind of sexual perversion that your traditional religion does not sanction and of course that just uh that's what this story refers to and then i i slipped in this story just i just discovered it because when i was in tehran i talked to folks uh who remember me hanging out with stephen sizer and discussing the evidence that israel was involved in 9-11 well just what was it 10 days ago or something uh, stephen sizer was barred from being a priest in the church of england until 2030 uh, because Well, uh, he shared some information about Israel being involved in 9-11, and of course, that's ipso facto anti-Semitic, even though uh, lying and saying it was the Muslims that did 9-11 is okay, uh, even though you're smearing a group uh, in such a way that you're participating in the murders of 20 million plus Muslims, uh, which 9-11 was designed to trigger, but if you tell the truth about who really did it, then uh, you're a horrible anti-Semite, you must be banned from your religion. So uh, shout out to Stephen Sizer, a very brave Christian who's walking that path of the Christians who have spoken truth to power.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for uh, Reverend Sizer. He's being treated miserably, but uh, it's the same thing with the, uh, the uh, uh, Anglican Church. This is problem. look, the problem started with the Reformation when the anglican church brought, when basically a, a bunch of thugs stole church property from the catholic church and created the elizabethan regime which has been in power for the last 500 years the anglican church became an adjunct of the state it became a state church and a state church does the bidding of the rulers and imposes their laws on its own congregation and that's precisely what happened here now in order to be a member of the state church in england you have to support the homosexual agenda and you cannot criticize jews this is this is what happens when the state takes over religion it's the problem with all state churches and the chickens have come home to roost in england so uh, it's time to abandon the anglican church and come back to the catholic church that you left 500 years ago
0: well maybe reverend sizer will do that uh that's between him and god i guess um Well, speaking of anti-Semitic myths, like, oh, the myth that the uh, Zionists had anything to gain and could possibly have participated in 9-11 and so on and so forth, right, Uh, yeah... Uh, how about Martin Sandler saying that the Mossad may have assassinated JFK? Is that just as anti-Semitic as Steven Sizer pointing out that Israel was obviously involved in 9-11? I don't know. Actually, he didn't say that. I said that. But uh, Martin Sandler, I think he's Jewish and he's this award winning historian who's written all these famous books and so on and so forth, taught American history at various uh, prestigious colleges and universities. And here he is saying that there's, he thinks the Mossad might have assassinated JFK, but they haven't lynched him or made him unemployable yet. Why is that?
1: Don't know. Don't know. But the Jews are cutting themselves off from the most talented people. Uh, uh, that's part of the problem here when you let the ADL run your, your operation here. Uh, and that's yep. an example. A, another example is comedy, for example. <laughs> have you noticed comedy isn't funny anymore?
0: A lot of it isn't. Um,
1: uh, it's not funny because, uh, well, because the same group of people have taken over comedy and they are imposing this draconian code on all of us that is becoming just burdensome to everyone, including Jews. We don't want to go along with it. So uh, at a certain point, we're going to have to have a course correction here. OK, well, I remember
0: we, back when Jews were funny.
1: Yeah, we went through this with uh, yeah. Remember uh, the difference between Lenny Bruce and Sarah Silverman. Uh, absolutely both, both that that joke about the uh that lenny bruce made yeah
0: yeah, uh, yeah we uh, killed jesus but it was only for three days
1: yeah now there's a little bit of wit involved there. yeah no, I'm that's a big that's pretty fan good. of lenny bruce it's it, at least a little bit of wit involved which is completely absent from sarah silverman yeah. uh so that's the yeah. trajectory that we're talking we about. we killed
0: jesus and i do it again in a heartbeat like okay yeah. that's hilarious sarah
1: <laughs> yeah she she's even funnier when she talks about abortion she says whenever she hears about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it wants her to go out and eat a fetus. Now, that's hilarious. I mean, yeah. that's really hilarious.
0: Yeah, it sure makes me want to upchuck uh, some laughter. Uh, so, uh, how about Joe Rogan uh, saying that, hey, Italians are saying that Jews aren't into money is like saying Italians aren't into pizza.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you have well, to say that? No, because Ben Shapiro came on immediately and said this was anti-Semitic. Oh, OK. <laughs> so Ben, Ben, I think what you what, I don't know, we talked about this the last time, but that whole Stephen Crowder thing uh, is exposing the uh, basically Jewish control over the conservative uh, side of the aisle. That there yeah. are certain uh, people are objecting to these uh, contracts that are basically suicidal contracts. If you do say anything that they don't like. And so Ben is getting more and more strident here. Uh, when he should have just, you know, laid back, you didn't have to say that immediately, Ben. Are, are you starting to panic? Is that part of the problem here? That That's what I'm seeing. So the, the, the more uh, things break down, the more the ADL wants to double down. The more they double down, the more the taboo breaks down. Uh, they don't understand. It's like Chinese handcuffs. You don't pull, you kind of push together, and then they come off. But the natural reaction is to pull and make things worse.
0: Well, this this bizarre anti-Semitic myth that Jews have something to do with money. I mean, you can see why people might be led to believe that when Kanye West criticizes Jews and suddenly his billion dollar fortune just disappears overnight. Uh but be that as it may, uh I, I couldn't resist putting this little cartoon in um, Sam Altman gets his big interview with the New York Times right he's the uh, CEO of open AI that's making all the splash lately and uh, my reaction rather Pepe the Frog's reaction and he's of course an anti-Semite uh, was beware of Jews named Sam selling startups I mean ha- haven't we seen a Sam selling a startup <laughs> yeah. somewhere before
1: yeah and he's going to be tried by uh oh where he went to he decided to be tried in new in Manhattan huh I wonder why
0: yeah, why would, why would that be? Okay, well Sam I am, uh Sam I am Altman, uh and uh, the other Sam I am uh, Bankster fraud, uh I guess always get pretty good treatment from the New York Times, but maybe not such great treatment from pepe the Frog. Let's move into our odds and eggs ending story here. The uh, egg farm fire killed 7,500 hens. There are rumors that the reason eggs are so expensive is there's like a war on eggs. And whether or not there are depopulationists trying to remove our food supply, or whether perhaps a bit more likely somebody's gambling on futures and messing around with bird flu and things like that, I don't know. But maybe you do, Mike.
1: No, I don't I can't tell you, you anything either. about eggs. Uh, <laughs> I eat them every day on a regular basis. Even when uh, they
0: cost like $750 a dozen?
1: I don't care. I'm going to eat eggs. No, they don't cost that much because you get local eggs here in Indiana. So apparently we haven't been affected here, as far as I know. But but I think that the food uh, supply is important. And I think that there's a uh, this is what's going on in the Ukraine. The Ukraine is the food, the breadbasket of of Europe, uh, a huge producer of food. And uh, the war, as far as I can tell, is to depopulate the Ukraine. Ukrainians are telling me that the relatives they have there, the government's telling them to leave go to uh, go west young man so they go right. to Poland they end up in Ireland and they're engaged in the depopulation of Ireland driving the native people out but the ethnic cleansing of the Ukraine is going to leave vast tracts of the best farmland in Europe open to be bought up at pennies on the dollar because of the crisis and guess who's going to jump in here zelensky's already cut a deal with larry fink of blackrock He's going to help rebuild the country. No, I think what they're going to do is buy up valuable assets at pennies on the dollar because of the war. Never let a crisis go to wake.
0: That's what they always do, isn't it? I can't disagree with you on that one. Well, the final story here is the, uh, Dick Cheney hunting accident anniversary. It's not only the anniversary of the Islamic revolution, but February 11th, which is today also happens to be the anniversary of Dick Ta- Cheney shooting his friend in the face during a hunting trip. They were hunting for quail, these tiny little birds and uh it's still unclear how cheney was able to shoot his friend in the face given that the quail are out there in front of them and his friend is behind him but apparently dick decided there must be a quail behind him and he wheeled around and shot his friend in the face i think his friend harry whittington maybe said something about 9-11 that he shouldn't have said but we'll maybe never know for sure In any case, um, hey, uh, Islamic Revolution, Dick Cheney hunting accident, important things happen on February 11th.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of uh, what I said to my Iranian friends. Uh, Why did you put your country in the middle of all those American military bases? (laughs)
0: <laughs> why, didn't uh, why, you, why did you put you, your face in front of dick cheney's gun
1: yeah why did you put your face in front of dick Cheney's? Uh, and, and he apologized
0: profusely he was practically <laughs> of course, crying he and,
1: oh no
0: my good poor friend dick cheney i i hurt him so badly <laughs> I, what uh yeah you know, what's going on here
1: <laughs> i think he, that's the way he felt it was his fault for putting his face in front of dick cheney's shotgun shame like on that. him
0: yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way ever since I've been talking about Cheney uh, being part of that Zionist team that did 9-11. I, so I'm sort of putting my face in front of Cheney's shotgun, too, but it's still there, and my hat doesn't look like this. But if, uh, if people want to contribute to False Flag Weekly News so we can keep doing this show, please uh, send money. And we won't send you an official Dick Cheney hunting buddy hat, because that actually might be dangerous for you to wear. Instead, we'll send you absolutely nothing except for this show, which we'll just keep doing. So that's our spiel, and maybe we uh, made a whole pile of money off it, or maybe we didn't, but we finished the show. So thank you, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Uh, appreciate your terrific commentary and your work at Culture Wars Magazine.
1: You're welcome. Always a pleasure.
0: Okay, uh, take care, God bless, and see y'all next time.